All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the show. This is Tuned Into Tennis with Miles David, and I am your host, Miles David. And thank you for tuning back in. If this is your first time listening, uh, welcome back. If you are new to the show, um, and you've come based off of my uh, interactions with you via Twitter or <laughs> anything of the sort, maybe on Instagram or something of that nature. Welcome into the Tuned Into Tennis family. Eventually, I have to like come up with some kind of cool name to name people that listen to this show. If that's not even a thing that even a occurs in your mind don't worry about it but i feel like the more we grow the bigger we grow this platform and community i might have to come up with some kind of name for you guys however i'm happy that you're here and i'm happy that you're listening and i'm happy that we are at the beginning of the 2023 tennis season because it's about to get real like a lot happens at the beginning of the year not only does a lot happen the first grand slam of the year starts in melbourne australia that's right the 20 23 Australian Open is set to begin very, very soon. Like, I'm recording this and it probably is going to be airing on my television one sleep away from now. <laughs> so, tennis is returning down under. The 2023 Australian Open is upon us and will kick off the tennis calendar year as players are bouncing back from their short. And I mean very short. We might even get more into that as this episode goes on about like whose who's, uh, season, off season specifically was short and kind of littered with exhibition tournaments and all of the sort. Anyway, this year's tournament begins on Monday, January 16th through the 29th, and we'll see some of the most elite tennis players gather in Melbourne, Australia for a chance to claim the first Grand Slam of the season. In this episode of the show, we're going to preview this year's edition of the tournament, as well as look at some of the hottest and coldest contenders for the title. Of course, just some uh, information to throw out there. The tournament, as I said, is the first Grand Slam of the season. It precedes the French, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open. You can find coverage of the 2023 Australian Open on the ESPN family of networks, ESPN, ESPN2, so on and so forth. And if you want to stream some matches of the Australian Open 2023 and you're a diehard fan or your favorite player that you know isn't actually on the traditional cable of ESPN or ESPN2, you can go to ESPN+. Plus. This is not an ad because like we're just not there yet as a podcast we will get there where espn wants to work with me and like give me permission to advertise for them we're just not there yet anyway <laughs> espn plus will have every match of the australian open and i think it's really beneficial if you get that disney plus bundle where you get disney plus espn plus and hulu and for me personally again not an ad i'm just saying i get everything i really need as a uh, entertainment uh, entertainment perspective because I get my sports and tennis with ESPN. Disney Plus allows me to kind of have nostalgia and watch some of those old original Disney Channel movies plus the new Marvel stuff and Hulu. I'm always kept up to date with what I need to watch on Law & Order SVU because like that's my show and it has been for years. So like, yeah, anyway, get the Disney bundle and watch more tennis and everything else. So um, before we get into this year's 2023 Australian Open, the men's singles and the women's singles and kind of break down the draw, just a quick recap of last year and the men's singles. Let's start there. So last year, 
2022, Rafael Nadal took down Daniil Medvedev in the men's singles final to claim his 21st, at that time, 21st career Grand Slam title, which is surpassing his main rivals and legends in their own right, Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. And a little bit more insight into the men's tournament, despite being the reigning champ, Novak Djokovic is the actual huge favorite for this year's tournament to lift his 10th, which is crazy I'm even saying that, 10th title in Australia. And he has a little bit a little bit of an extra incentive because he missed out entirely on last year's tournament due to visa issues aligned with his vaccination status. Again, won't touch too much into that because we could be here all day. That's not my favorite uh it's not my favorite stance in the world. I'll say that uh, anti-vaccination anyway. Um, so back to tennis, Nadal is an outsider by some measure, but of course you really can't count him out. Uh, the future hall of famer is a legend, like I said, and he's a perennial competitor. And after all, he does come into this tournament as a number one seed. Um, he comes into the tournament as a number one seed because Carlos Alcaraz, the actual world number one by the ATP rankings, is out due to injury. And we'll circle back to that when we get into who's playing, who withdrew early, and all of that fun stuff. Um, and just another fun little tidbit, I actually have a dark horse that is a little bit even surprising to me on the men's side, and that dark horse is actually Taylor Fritz, and I'll get into some of the stats and just vibes I feel as to why I think Taylor Fritz is going to uh, conquer this year's tournament. So, yeah, let's go over to the women's side really quick. Uh, last year, we had, in the women's singles final, we had Ash Barty of Australia taking home the title of her home Grand Slam, which I think is always a really cool vibe when somebody that represents that country is able to win a Grand Slam in that country. So kudos to her. Unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for her, unfortunately for fans of the sport, she retired maybe two months after that in uh, March or April of the year. So she's uh, completely off the WTA ranking. She's no longer a professional. She's retired, hung up the racket. Um, so we won't be seeing her in this edition. However, we will be seeing last year's finalist, Danielle Collins. We'll get more into her and where she is in the draw and what to ex expect of her. Um on the women's side this year, there's a whole host of names swirling around in the pot to potentially lift the title. World number one, Iga Swiatek, is a clear favorite to go deep, considering her position as number one in the world and being just off the heels of one of the most impressive seasons in tennis in 2022, where she won the French Open and U.S. Open and went on a crazy 37-match win streak in between that. So she's obviously a... Uh, a name that a lot of people are looking at, as well as number two seed, Anj Jabor, Jessica Pagula, Caroline Garcia, Sabalenka, just to name out a few. Um, so, yeah, that's where we are with that. And then, again, like, I really want to get into this entire tournament. We're going to take it quarter by quarter, and I'll let you know who I think my champion will be, who are some dark horses to look out for, who are some potential shockers, people that you don't expect to win the tournament that might just go deep. And then also I want to introduce something um, a little bit different where I talk about some sinkers, people that maybe don't come in here, come into the tournament with the best of odds or the best of form or confidence. And somebody I expect to kind of, you know, I'm not necessarily, you know, dragging them through the mud or anything like that, but just somebody that I'll call a sinker, somebody that might not have their best Australian Open yet in this tournament. So let's get into it. I believe we're going to start with the... Women's singles, yeah, women's first. 2023 Australian Open women's singles draw. We're just going to take it quarter by quarter. Before I do that, though, I do want to just shout out the top eight seeds in the tournament. 
Uh, so the tournament is usually anchored by the top eight seeds in every Grand Slam. And these top eight seeds for the 2023 Australian Open are Iga Swiatek, of course, world number one. Anz Jabor is coming in at number two, followed by Jessica Pagula of the United States. Caroline Garcia, Arena Sabalenka, Maria Sakari, number seven, my girl Coco Golf, and then rounding out the top eight is Daria Kasakina. So those are some names that are going to anchor the draw, and a lot of those names are in contention to lift the title. They come in, a lot of them coming here with good confidence and uh, some good wins under their belt. So we're going to get into that a little bit further, and then before we break down the draw and analyze it a little bit, I just do want to quickly say where we are in terms of withdrawals before the tournament, because there are some profile names that withdrew from the tournament. And then of those names, I think the one that is, um, usually I'm not, you know, very heartwarmed when somebody pulls out of a Grand Slam, because I always feel like, you know, especially if you are a professional and you've worked really, really hard, the Grand Slams are your time to kind of shine. Obviously, they have huge prize money buckets, so you, you get monetary success, you get notoriety. So any anytime an elite athlete has to pull out based off injury or some kind of personal issues, I always feel a little bummed for them. However, in the case of of Naomi Osaka, I'm actually really happy and excited for her. She pulled out a couple days before the tournament was supposed to start and she announced to the world that she is expecting, yes, she is pregnant with her first child and um, I don't know if she, yeah, I don't believe she explicitly stated how far along she is. She just put out in a Twitter note, not excuse me, not a Twitter note. You know, like you can type a note in your phones and then you screenshot it and then boom, you upload it on social media. She's the queen of that. Like if you do your research, she's been doing that <laughs> for years now. Like she would just be typing on her phone and be like, you know what? I guess I do want to share this with the world um, and my 2.2 million followers or whatever. But yes, she is. Um, with child, and that does answer quite a few questions that the media has been speculating over the past couple of months because Naomi hasn't played an official match since uh, right after the U.S. Open, I believe, in Tokyo, and she did retire from that, uh, retire and uh, slash withdraw from that tournament with injury. So she's been a little bit MIA. I haven't been personally that concerned. Personally, I have not, just because I, I understand that tennis already doesn't get a really long off season. So it's not a strange thing for players that I like and that I root for to take time off after the U.S. Open and not play like the uh, Asian or indoor European swing. But a lot of people were getting on her case and just kind of saying that she doesn't take tennis too seriously. And there were whole, whole articles that I think people should walk back now about how she just doesn't care. And it, it's, it's assumed that she doesn't really love the sport as much in the whole time. Like she probably was trying to prioritize getting pregnant. <laughs> like if that's I can understand as a 25 year old woman, if that is something that you feel uh is necessary to do in your life and you've planned it, whether she planned it or not, like it's here and it's something that she's beautifully accepting. So all the like talk and conversation around why she wasn't playing tennis that much and what, why weren't her results, this, that, and the third, like let her, she's 25 years old, has had a really successful career up until this point. So I do feel like um, one, I'm happy for her. And two, I'm glad that she has given us her fans some sort of direction of where she's going in her life. And then also in her note, just to cap this off, she did say that she was going to be returning back to tennis in 2024. I say, take your time. You are only 25, Naomi, Naomi, and you can do whatever you like because you have proved yourself more so 
than you ever had to, I believe, as a tennis player. So uh, good luck to her. And also, just to follow up on some withdrawals on the women's single side, we also have number... 13th ranked player Paula Badosa who you might realize uh, I think she's featured in the Netflix documentary Breakpoint more on that later uh, she's re- she's been uh, withdrawn or she withdrew herself from the tournament just shortly before the start date with an injury as well as Australian Alia Tomjanovic and she's famous for actually I'm famous but um, <laughs> she's she's of note for beating Serena at the US Open in 2022 in Serena Williams last tournament and then just to round out the uh, withdrawals and just a quick note on this person Simona Halep who would have been in the top 10 seeds she is withdrawal slash kind of some weird circumstances surrounding her name because she was uh she was in a little bit of a scandal, I guess you can say. She tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug, and that was released to the public post-U.S. Open, that she had tested positive right before the beginning of that tournament. So she's on the bench for right now until they kind of square those things away and do an investigation. So she will no longer, uh, she will not be taking place in this tournament. So got that out of the way. Let's get into this tournament quarter by quarter. So, again, uh, at the very top of the draw, number one seed, Suyatek, anchors the the draw. She's a a name everybody's looking at to see if she can kind of recreate some of that amazing form she had in 2022. But she does open with a tricky first round in Jules Niemeyer of Germany. And Jules Niemeyer is an up-and-coming player. She hits a really, really big ball. Um... And she actually tested Swiatek in the fourth round of this past U.S. Open that Swiatek went on to win. Swiatek was down a set in that match and kind of had to rally the troops up to get past Jewel Niemeyer, who hits a really, really big ball. You know, she also made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. So she's no slouch. She's somebody that people look at in a draw and be like, you know what? Like, I need to be on my P's and Q's for this match. So it's not, a, it's not at all an easy first round for a number one seed. She's looking at that name like, okay, we have history. I know you can play well. And it's a little unfortunate that Niemeyer herself isn't higher ranked or maybe even possibly seated because um, in 2022, the Wimbledon tournament actually did not have ranking points associated with it because the ATP and WTA associations took them away in response to Wimbledon saying that they would not allow Russian or Belarusian players to partake in their tournament. That's a whole other fiasco. Um, But yeah. Swiatek opens with Jewel Niemeyer and then some names around her that you might be cognizant of or should be cognizant of is unseated player Bianca Andrescu who is the 2019 U.S. Open champion and really hasn't been able to kind of find that elite form since that 2019 breakout year however is always a dangerous player still very young young enough to turn it around and I think could be somebody of note to look around in the draw they could possibly meet Andrescu and Swiatek in the third round. Also, some names in that little section surrounding Swiatek is Wimbledon champion Elena Rabakina, uh, breakout Wimbledon champion. She's the number 22 seed, and that could be a fourth round for Swiatek, as well as a potential fourth round opponent is number 13 seed Danielle Collins and last year's finalist who I think really really enjoys the conditions in Australia her results prove it she's been a former semi-finalist and a defending finalist so she there's something about the Melbourne Park and being down under that really responds well to her game or she responds well to um the environment, which I think is really, really dope. And I think she is one of those players that for me personally, if I can just, you know, uh, speak on this 
when I first was introduced to her game and just kind of her persona, because she's very spunky. Like her name on Instagram is Danimal, I believe. She's Danimal the Animal or something, something like that. Um, she's an American girl. She played college tennis and she's kind of in your face. And tennis doesn't necessarily have the best correlation or the best association, I should say, with people that are in your face. However, she has been somebody that's grown on me. I really, really appreciate her, her feisty competitiveness. And when she's healthy, something that she has struggled a bit with in her career as far as being consistently healthy. I mean, it's, it's tough to ask of these athletes, especially tennis athletes, to go 12 months, essentially, which is what the tour asks of them, to play year-round for ranking points and prize money. And, of course, injury bugs kind of just bite you at the time because it's just demanding on your body. So... Uh, if she's playing, if she's healthy, she can beat almost anybody, I believe. I mean, you know, she's a really good player. She has power off both wings. Um, so she's number 13 seed and, again, a potential fourth round for Swiatek. Moving further down in the draw, still in Swiatek section, we have number seven seed Coco Golf, who opens up her tournament against Katarina Sinyakova of the Czech Republic. I am really big on Coco Golf, And just, a, just a, a, a moment to understand and to really digest here, right? I just really wanted to digest what I'm about to say. Coco Golf is still 18 years old. She is 18 years old and is coming into this tournament, a Grand Slam as the number seven seed off the heels of winning a lead-up tournament in Auckland, the ASB Classic, just days ago. I say all of that to say, like, a lot of people I see, you know, online conversations and engagements, a lot of people say that, you know, they, they, they for whatever reason, whatever their, whatever their ministry is, they fall on saying something to the effect of Coco Golf is overrated. And I, for one, just cannot give up that narrative. No matter who says it, I really get on people when they say that originally because she's 18 years old and she's, she's accomplishing more. I know, I, I know in tennis, if you do your research, there have been 18-year-olds, especially in women's tennis, who have gone on to win Grand Slam prior to being 18 yes that's that is a, a thing right however I really am on team long process with Coco Golf. I think she's doing the right things right now and being aware of things in her professional uh professional game to make sure that she can get the most out of this career choice and that doesn't mean you always just come out of the gates firing and lifting all the trophies and even still she's being really impressive in her career thus far making the 2022 French Open final like you know some would say that French that the French Open uh, environment especially the red clay is more beneficial for her game but I do think she has a great shot to go deep in this tournament especially with her draw she opens up like I said with Katarina Sinyakova which is interesting because Sinyakova beat her the last time they played at the 2022 Billie Jean King Cup. I watched that match on television. Coco kind of just, you know, it, she, she wasn't in great form at that tail end of 2022. That's no secret. And I do believe that this, this matchup psychologically gives an edge to Coco in a certain way because I believe she's the type of competitor that does not want to allow another opponent to feel like they have a to feel like they have a one up on her. So the fact that Sinyakova lost, or excuse me, the fact that Sinyakova beat Coco the last time they played, feel like it's going to put a little bit of a fire underneath Coco Goff's butt, and she should be able to get through that first round. And then also, right next to her, right above her in the draw is 2021. U.S. Open shock champion Emma Raducanu. Uh, you just Google her name and you'll find a whole bunch of write-ups and pieces about how outstanding her accomplishment was at the U.S. Open and how 
outstanding her results haven't been <laughs> since then. Um, she comes in unseated and could potentially face Coco Golf in the second round. I would like to see that. They're both teenagers. I believe Emma is still a teenager. I, I should fact check that, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I would like to see it. It's, it's a box office matchup, and it would just give me um, kind of, you know, this is the future vibes. Like, this is the future of, of women's tennis. You know, that's always nice to see. And then also in this section, uh, this would have been the section that Paula Badosa was in, but like I said previously, she withdrew from the tournament due to injury. She's replaced by a lucky loser. That lucky loser actually faces Katie McNally. So kind of full circle moment here. Katie McNally is Coco Goff's doubles partner. That's how I first got to know Katie McNally. I don't believe they're consistent doubles partners anymore, but Katie McNally is coming up a little bit in the singles ranks, so uh, Paula Badosa withdrawing kind of opens up the draw a little bit for her, so I wouldn't be surprised if she makes a solidly decent run in this year's Australia. Also, uh, Australian Open. Also in this tournament, you have a 2017 French Open champ, Yelena Ostapenko, who runs very hot and very cold in her play style. She can hit you off the court or hit herself off the court, and I feel like she'd be one of the first people to kind of describe that because she's very adamant about her game and uh, just very crystal clear about what works and what doesn't work and how she wants to go out there. So I wouldn't be surprised if she, you know, just catches lightning in a bottle somehow and goes deep in this tournament and I would not be surprised if she loses first round because that's just the dichotomy of her career <laughs> um, so let's move on to this second quarter we have number three seed Jessica Pagula who anchors in this quarter of the draw she faces a Romanian by the name of Jacqueline Christian in the first round looks on paper like she does have a pretty reasonable draw to do some damage she reached three quarterfinals of Grand Slams last year, one at the Australian in 2022, one at the French, and then one at the U.S. Open. She lost to Iga Swiatek at the French and U.S. Open. So uh, she's one to look out for. She won the WTA 1000 tournament in Guadalajara in October slash November of 2022. She also helped the 2023 United States United Cup team to victory along with Madison Keys and Francis Tiafo and Taylor Fritz. And I'll touch on a little bit of them later on in the show. But she, like I said, she comes in with confidence. She has a pretty decent draw. If seeds, if seeds hold, she could face number 28 seed in uh, the third round, Amanda Nisimova. She's had decent success at the Australian Open in past years and uh, hits a big clean ball. So I would like to see that matchup. Also in this section, of the quarter, we have Barbora Krajcikova, who's the defending quarterfinalist, number 20 seed and former French Open champion herself. Also, in this section, another Czech. This, this section is full of Czech Republic players, I swear. There's also two-time Wimbledon champion Petra Kvitova, who's actually started off the 2023 season pretty good by her standards. She's won a good couple of matches at the United Cup and in Adelaide, the warm-up tournament. So eyes out for her. Wouldn't Again, kind of one in the same lane of somebody that wouldn't be completely shocked if they go deep. Also wouldn't be shocked if they maybe don't go deep. So... Um, I do have to say, though, Barbora Krajcikova, before I get off of this section, she is somebody who I would put in my dark horse category. Uh, um, you know, it, it, people talk about, like, analysis and um, 
betting odds and a lot of this stuff like when it comes to tennis talking about who's going to win who's going to lose and why they're going to win and why they're going to lose it's kind of just fun and games for me and for whatever reason i should say fun games fun and games and vibes for me and for whatever reason when i see her, her name when i watch her practice on social media from what she shows and what other people capture i get a good vibe about where she is in her tennis so she's my dark horse player to kind of watch out for who's not highly seated still seated and has great obviously experience winning a grand slam before so uh barbara christ you could be somebody to look out for uh, just to finish out this quarter of the draw, it's also anchored by number 10 seed Madison Keys, somebody else who's a little bit higher up in the seeding, but it's somebody who I would not be shocked goes deep into the tournament. I think I actually have Madison Keys in my final when I made my fantasy bracket picks. I believe I did. So I'm going big on Madison Keys after seeing her in the United Cup and pushing United States to victory. She looked good, solid, and very in control of her tennis. And that's always a good sign. She opens up against Anna Blinkova, which I think is a winnable match. And then later down in this quarter of the draw, there's a popcorn match, a popcorn first round match between two of... Uh, the former Australian Open women's singles champions. Actually, these two women are the only former Australian Open champions in the draw, and they just so happen to be playing first round. And I'm speaking of Sophia Kennan of the United States versus Victoria Azarenka. Get your popcorn out. That seems like it's going to be a very interesting match because they're both at very interesting parts of their career. Kennan is on the comeback trail. Uh, she hasn't really done much. She's in this draw using a special protected ranking because of her prolonged injury she hasn't done much since 2020 but she does come in to this 2023 Australian Open off the heels of some good results. She just lost to Coco Golf in Auckland and she made the semifinals of the tournament in Hobart, all warm-up tournaments for Australia. And then Azarenka, uh, obviously, is somebody, a former world number one, won the Australian Open not once but twice, has good memories here, is seated number 24, and can also play good tennis on any given day. So that should be one to watch if you are looking for matches in the first round to be entertained by. Um, and also filling out this quarter of the draw before we go into the bottom half of the women's singles is Maria Sakari. And I just have to say, if y'all have a problem with me, Miles David, being a fan of Maria Sakari, I don't care. And I don't care for a couple of different reasons because one, I appreciate a player. I can't believe I'm standing right here. Well, yeah, whatever, I'm standing. Um, I like Maria Sakari. I appreciate a player. If you follow her on social, she kind of lets you in. I appreciate how diligent and professional she is when it comes to like taking her health and her body very seriously. Obviously, she's ripped. She's a tremendous athlete. And I do appreciate what she's been able to share with the press as far as coping with some of the pressures that it that it that kind of align with being a professional athlete. I appreciate that. And then from a aesthetic place, I like watching her play tennis. Some of the most entertaining matches that kind of got me through the COVID pandemic year were Maria Sakari's matches. Maybe that's why I have a connection to her. That 2020 match she played against Serena at the U.S. Open was so good, and, and I, I saw a lot of good come from that match. She's and, and to me, to a certain extent, she's capitalized on it. Maybe she doesn't have the titles and championships and trophies in her trophy cabinet that she quote-unquote should at this point 
point, but she's still relatively young. I believe she's 27 or 28. And with a decent draw and a, a right amount of confidence and kind of good juju around. I don't know why I use that phrase, good juju, but just some good energy around her. I think she's somebody that can go deep. And she would be a potential fourth round matchup for Madison Keys um, in this draw. So I'm looking forward to that one if it happens. I really am. So let's get down to the end of, not the end, actually, we're kind of just halfway there of the women's singles draw. Let's look at this bottom half of the women's draw. And this section is anchored by number four seed, Caroline Garcia. And she is coming off one of the best seasons of her career in 2022. She won. I believe four titles. Let's walk. Let's walk it through. I believe she won a WTA 250 in Poland, a WTA 250 on grass in Germany. Yes, before the before Wimbledon, and then she also won uh, the 2022 Cincinnati title in the lead up to the U.S. Open. She makes the semis of the U.S. Open in New York, and then also goes on to win the WTA Year End Championships that were that was hosted in 2022 in November in Fort Worth, Texas. She's the champion of that event. So all of that to say, she's had a pretty amazing six to eight months, probably the longest stretch of consistency in her career. She comes in as the number four seed, and I like her chances of going deep in this tournament. I feel like she's had somewhat of a second chance in her career because she's been as high as number four in the world before back in 2018, and that was off the heels of two incredible back-to-back tournament victories in the Asian swing in 2017. And she played well, but I think once she realized kind of where she was in her career, I believe this happens sometimes to players. They kind of seize up in the shoulders and realize that they have now switched positions and they aren't the hunty anymore. They're the hunted. Like they're not chasing people. People are now chasing them. The higher you go up and elevate in the rankings, that kind of that kind of situation happens. And. She's giving she's giving herself a second chance to kind of deal with that pressure again. And I want to see what she does with it in the second round. She could face um, she faces a qualifier in the first round. In the second round, she could face the winner. Well, she will face the winner, I should say, of Layla Fernandez and Elise Cornet. Layla Fernandez is the 2021 U.S. Open runner up. And Elise Cornet is a by almost everyone's definition, like a journey woman on the WTA tour. She doesn't miss Grand Slams, really. I believe she holds a record for most consecutive Grand Slam appearances. And that should be an interesting first round in itself. So that poses a little bit of a problem against Caroline Garcia. But I do believe if Garcia is playing her type of tennis, the brand of tennis where she's super aggressive, standing inside the baseline on second serves deep into the into the court, uh, and rushing towards the net, I believe it's a matter of how well she plays as opposed to how people play around her. Uh, also, in this quarter of the draw, if you go up a little bit further, there are some uh, names that are playing well in Daria Kasakina, the number eight seed. Also, number nine seed, who's a little bit of a sleeper. A lot of people don't realize that she's as good as she is, but number nine seed, Veronica Kudamertova, kind of circle that one. I feel like she's in a part of a draw that she could make some noise and kind of be one of those people that um, you look up and you're like, wait, she's in the, she's in the, Second week of this tournament. What happened? Also, great shout out to wild card Taylor Townsend. I love Taylor Townsend. She's a lefty. Lefties have a soft spot in my heart. And I love how she's been tearing up the doubles, the doubles uh, circuit, uh, especially after giving birth to her son, Aiden. She shares really, really sweet things about him on Instagram. I love following her and really excited for where her tennis journey is going. She started off 2023 winning two back-to-back titles at the WTA 500 level and 
Adelaide, and she has a wild card into this Australian Open and faces another wild card by the name of Diane Parry from the French Open, uh, from the French Open, from France, I should say. And I'm really excited about what happens, win or lose. I feel like there's good energy around Taylor right now, and I'm hoping she can use some of that and just, you know, go as far as she can with it. So there's that. I believe that wraps up that quarter of the draw. So let's move on to the final quarter of the draw anchored by number two seed Anz Jabor. Another player I have a little bit of a soft spot for. However, I will be honest and I don't, I don't think that the, I don't get the vibe that she's going to necessarily do well in this tournament. And when I did pick my fantasy draws, I had her going out early to uh, a player by the name of Marquetta Von Drusova, who is unseated at this tournament and is a former French Open finalist. So she can play at Grand Slams well herself. And Anz just, um, as much as I love watching Anz play, I have to be honest there, she has had some injury issues in the weeks leading up to the Australian Open. And she said as much with some back issues. And I do believe that she's a player that kind of um, lets you in as well with the pressures and what she's thinking. But for whatever reason, I don't get the vibe that the Australian Open is going to be too kind to her this go around. I'd actually love to see her do well on clay this year at the French Open. So uh, my expectations for Hans Jabor, even though she's number two seed, are relatively low this, this go around. But we'll see what happens. And in the last section I'll touch on, and I, I saved this for last because I believe, hear me out now, I believe the winner of the tournament is in this section, and I'm talking about the section that features number five seed, Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka is one of the biggest hitters on tour. I love her, like, really go get them attitude. She's a she's feisty. She fights for every point out there. She's another player that I, this is a trend here. I like players that let me in to how they're feeling, to their emotions, and somebody that I can see that really, really wants it. And even if they are, you know, experiencing difficulties, the difficulties in Sabalenka's game have been surrounding her serve. Um, but the storyline that I would love is if you look at Sabalenka in 2022, where she started, right? If you go back and look at some of those videos, her serve just abandoned her in 2022 to the point where certain commentators were kind of alluding that she should just take some time off for the, from the court because the number of double faults were just egregious like it was almost kind of how she like she forgot how to play the sport fast forward to 2023 she's literally the winner of that tournament 12 months later followed by some great results in between she got to the semifinals once again of the u.s open and reached the finals of the wta year-ending championships in fort worth texas so she's definitely been playing well and i believe where's my stat here there we go. So, Arena Sabalenka, she's played 23 matches in Cincinnati last year in August. Of those 23, she's won 17 and lost six. That's not that's not bad at all. Like, I, I think that, that a lot of players would take that, especially a player of her caliber that's been to three Grand Slam semis. She, she hasn't won one yet. I believe she will. It's a matter of time. And she's knocking on the door. And I think the door is going to open for her at this 2023 Australian Open. She just looks good. And like I said, a lot of my picks and stuff are based off of vibes, not necessarily analysis. I do try my best to look at trends, obviously. Um, so I'm not just picking stuff out of my behind. <laughs> but yeah, I get I get really good vibes from Sabalenka. And I believe she's going to make a really, really deep run, deeper than she's ever she ever has at a Grand Slam. So... I believe that's it for the women's singles draw as far as just kind of going through the draw and dissecting some names. So, yes, that is the 2023 women's singles Australian Open draw. 
Super excited for the women to get started to compete. I think it's going to be interesting. The women's tour has been interesting over the past couple of years because sometimes things just go left when you thought they were going to go right and vice versa. So I'm excited to, to watch and kind of get my popcorn out. So um, let's head on over to the men's single side of things uh, before we wrap up this episode up. Before we get into the draw, I just have to shout out my dark horse. I mentioned him at the top of the show, but I want to mention my dark horse this year and his name is Taylor Fritz the American I believe he's a California native he's another player that has been playing well kind of on the radar but below uh the radar at the same time his last 21 matches going back all the way to Labor Cup in September he's played 21 matches and he's only lost five of those matches and that includes a win in Tokyo that includes a uh, appearance in the semifinals of the ATP finals in Turin and then also he helped his team uh, Team USA win in the United Cup just a week ago or so so I'm going big on Taylor Fritz but Again, a vibe thing. I just get the vibe. It's something about his big serve. His forehand is tremendous. His backhand is smooth as ever. And he just looks good. So uh, before I go too deep into standing Taylor Fritz, let's talk about the top eight seeds in the men's draw. Number one, going back to defending champion Rafael Nadal and 22-time Grand Slam champion. He opens his tournament against... Oh, let me not say that yet. Let me finish the top eight seeds. Sorry. Rafael Nadal, number one seed. Number two, Cass Casper Rude, number three, Stefano Tsitsipas, followed by number four, going for his 10th Australian Open title, Novak Djokovic, as well as number five seed, Andre Rublev, one of my faves, number six seed, Felix Auger Aliassime, number seven seed, defending finalist, Daniel Medvedev, and then also the guy I just mentioned as my dark horse, number eight seed, Taylor Fritz. So, uh, let's see, let's see, let's go down to my notes here and let's just briefly mention some players that had to withdraw to kind of give some color as to who's here and who's not here. Uh, Carlos Alcarez, the ATP world number one, the 19 year old Spanish phenom is unfortunately not going to be playing in the draw, uh, because he injured his leg, I believe, in uh, pre-practice and pre-tournament uh, preparation. So he will not be playing, which is super unfortunate because I feel like the injury bug has kind of bit him a little bit post-US Open victory in 2022. He didn't uh, or he was not able to play in the ATP finals in Turin. So that was a bummer. Then followed by this one is a little bit of a bummer, but I do have the feeling that he is trying to... Um, do something a little bit different and not always push past injuries because I do believe in tennis players have said as much that most tennis players and most athletes carry some sort of interesting we're just going to say small injury he, he picks those up sometimes I believe because of how explosive and dynamic his game is but I do believe he's trying to temper um, how much he stretches his body and if he doesn't feel like he needs to really push it he doesn't have to and he's not defending a whole bunch of points here so maybe he is trying to think more strategically or him and his uh, team around him are trying to think more strategically so that's a notable name that's not being played uh, or that's not playing this U uh, why am I saying US Open that's not playing this Australian Australian Open, as well as uh, Marin Cilic, who is a former finalist of this event, as well as Gael Mofi. They're not playing due to injury as well. I hope Gael Mofi um, gets back 
to the tour because he's always a fun one to watch. So um, hope you're healing God, Monfi. And then congrats on being a father, Monfi. That's great. He just uh, became a father not long ago with also WTA tour player Alina Svitolina. So that's something cool that you can talk about amongst your water cooler. Okay, let's get into... The men's draw. So I said the number one seed was Rafael Nadal. Let's start things out with him. And he has a heck of a draw because he has drawn left-handed player from Great Britain, Jack Draper, who a lot of people have been bigging up for a couple of years. And this does kind of present a problem for Nadal. I I do see how, you know, people's eyebrows went up when the draw was released because Jack Draper has a really, really big game. He's young. He's fearless. He just made the semifinals of Adelaide last week. So he comes and with certain level of confidence. However, as much as I do think Nadal should be very alert for that match and should not take uh, it lightly, which I don't think he ever will because he, he just comes off like that kind of competitor, I do believe in a best-of-five format, Nadal is going to be able to kind of show his experience over time. So that's why I'm going to pick Nadal to get through that. Although my antennas are up, and if Nadal is not playing well enough, I believe Jack Dripper just has a natural game to bother him. But in saying that, if Nadal's going to even come close to defending his championship last year, he has a heck of a, a, a lot of opposition to go through because he's also in the quarter of the draw with number 16 seed Francis Tiafo, and Francis Tiafo beat him the last time they played at the 2022 U.S. Open. Super rooting for Francis Tiafo. I think he's playing some of the best tennis of his life. And he also was a part of the team in the 2023 United Cup just a week ago that was uh, triumphant in the inaugural United Cup. He played well. He had his same flair. And I do believe he's able to better marry some of the flair he naturally has as well as some of the professionalism you need to kind of prepare yourself and sustain a high level at this elite level. So I'm proud of Tiafo and I do believe he has more in him. Some other American names are Brandon Nakashima, who won the 21 and under event in Milan, Italy at the end of 2022, the next gen finals. So he has a certain level of confidence coming into the tournament. Uh, who else is in this in this draw? There's 18 seed Karen Hatchinoff. So there's some there's some danger really kind of lurking next to Nadal's name early on in the draw. And then if we go down a little bit further in his quarter, there's number 10 seed Hubie Hercash. Number 20 seed, Denis Shapovalov, left-handed from Canada. Love watching him play. Number 29 seed, American Sebastian Corder, who just got to the finals in Adelaide, losing a tough one to Novak Djokovic. Then also in Nadal's quarter is the defending finalist who Nadal beat last year, Daniel Medvedev. And all of those players pose problems. I think Medvedev, that's crazy. Just for a second, I want to touch on Medvedev. It's so crazy that When we get to February of 2023, I believe, that'll be a year since Medvedev rose to world number one. And now he comes into this tournament as the number seven seed. Like, I don't think anybody would have put that anybody would have put that on their bingo card. But it's the truth of the matter. Like sometimes, you know, things just happen in tennis almost immediately as you get to the top. You can go down a couple rungs. And, you know, he had some injury problems. I believe he had a hernia issue that he that he had to go through surgery for. So he's not necessarily playing terrible. Obviously, he's still a top eight seed. It's just interesting how he was basically the hardcore player to beat in Australia last year and then now comes in here with a couple of question marks. I'm not saying he is going to necessarily lose early, but 
there are a lot more question marks than there were about Daniel Medvedev's form. So just something to look out for. Moving on in the men's draw, in the second quarter, we have number three seed, Stefano Tsitsipas of Greece, along with uh, Lorenzo Musetti, and then also another talented Italian, Yannick Sinner, as number 15 seed. Would love to see another Yannick Sinner and Stefano Tsitsipas matchup that could meet in the fourth round. Sign me up for that. There's not too too much that I'm looking at just off of a glance that would kind of prevent them from getting to that fourth round class so more power to both of them they're both really dynamic players and I just want to see them battle it out to see who's really on top right now you know later down in this quarter there's number 11 seed Cam Nori and a personal favor of mine number six seed Felix Auger Aliassime who comes in off of the heels of a tremendous end to 2022 he won three titles on the bounce I believe they were Florence Antwerp and Basel almost got almost got tricked up there yeah he won three titles all in a row all in European indoors so I'm really really happy for him seems that he's gotten a little bit of that weight off his shoulders because we all know it was well written that he had lost a couple of finals I believe it was eight before he finally won his first one at the beginning of 2022 so I think he comes in with a fair amount of confidence and belief in himself he opens up against his fellow countryman Pops Basil and then there's a potential tricky round Tricky second round match against Stan Wawrinka, who's a former champion and three-time Grand Slam champion in total. So that is something interesting to kind of look forward to if both of them win their first round matches. Uh, I would be interested to see what a fourth round match between Cam Nori and Felix would look like. I would really be interested to see what that um, dynamic is. And also some other names in this section are 2022 Cincinnati champion Borna Chorich, as well as uh, Atlanta native American Chris Eubanks, who comes in with the wild card and is only a couple of ranking spots away from cracking the top 100 for the first time in his career so I'm really rooting for Chris Eubanks to have a great 2023 and I believe he can start it out here at the Australian Open so rooting for Chris Eubanks all right on to the bottom half of the men's draw hope you're still with me and haven't turned me off yet (laughs) uh let's see we got number five seed Andre Rublev in the bottom half of the draw who opens up against Dominic Team, just putting those two names together in the first round is crazy. Dominic Team is a former U.S. Open champion, and Andre Rublev has been a perennial top 10 player for the past couple of seasons. So that should be some fireworks. I think Dominic Team, he comes in here with a wild card. A wild card was needed to get into the draw. I do think his confidence level is not near what it was when he was contesting for Grand Slam championships. However, I do think he's inching a little bit by little, little by little, closer to top form. Um, Unfortunate for him, Rublev kind of owns their head-to-head. I believe he's won the last four in a row, all in straight sets. That doesn't, excuse me, that doesn't really bode well for the matchup, but just on paper, I want to see how that goes because I think it'll be a good litmus test for team to see how far he's actually come since his surgery with the wrist injury. So, Uh, That'll be fun to watch. Also in this section, Nick Kyrgios. I really could go off on a tangent about how much Nick Kyrgios really annoys me. Um, I don't know him personally, obviously, but he is, if there was a person smiling in the dictionary next to the word insufferable, it probably would be Nick Kyrgios. I mean, you ever just come across people who feel like, who feel really full of themselves, but when you like break it down, they shouldn't 
be that full of themselves? Like, if you were to like really, really nitpick and say, what have you done? Like, what if, what, what have you really done in in your lane? In your, in the the thing that you say is is your profession, your your you know what you do every day. I, I, to me, he doesn't have anywhere near the kind of resume that he talks the talk about. But that's. I'll do a whole other episode on that, I think, because it's just super annoying um, how he bigs, him up, he bigs himself up and doesn't always kind of fulfill that at all. However, giving giving him his due credit, he's the number 19 seed. He's the, number, he's the Wimbledon finalist from 2022. He's playing some level of good tennis. A lot of people are picking him to go deep, especially if you just watched that Breakpoint documentary. So on a break, Breakpoint documentary on Netflix. Also in this section is number nine seed, Holger Rune, who's a very, very hot up-and-coming player from Denmark. He won the ATP Paris masters that are indoor at the end of the uh, ATP season so look out for him he could possibly face Kyrgios in the third round and I would like to see that both of them kind of have you know uh, on court antics if you will especially Kyrgios <laughs> so look out for that one uh, moving on inside the men's draw a little bit further there's number four seed this whole entire quarter is basically just uh red carpet filled with with rose petals for Novak Djokovic. He opens up against Roberto Carabas Baena of Spain. There's really nobody uh, that looks like he, they're going to stop him from at least getting to the quarters and that's something that Djokovic has routinely done in his career for the past couple of years is just, just routinely get to the quarters or beyond in Grand Slams um, and it doesn't look like there's much that's going to stop him. There's number 14 seed Carino Busta of Spain who they have an interesting head-to-head. Carina Busta was the person um, <laughs> that Djokovic uh, would, was disqualified from at the U.S. Open in 2020. And then also Carina Busta beat him at the 2020 uh, Tokyo Olympics. So that'd be kind of interesting if they face off in the fourth round. But uh, there's some hurdles to be jumped over before then. So that's Djokovic's route. Again, like I said at the top of the show, he is going for his 10th. Australian Open title. A lot of people see him as just, you know, writing writing his name on the title. Give it to him now, especially after all he went through to not even be admitted inside the country, really, due to the whole vaccine status thing last year. So he's probably playing with a little bit of an extra chip on his shoulder um, and to really, really grab that 10th Grand Slam title and cement him as one of the best in the world, if not the best of all time. So that's his route a little bit. And then also to close out this men's draw we got my number eight seed and dark horse taylor fritz he opens up against nicolas bajlashvili also in this section of the draw there's number 12 seed alexander zverev you may remember zverev had a really really bad injury at the 2022 french open uh where he was playing a semifinal match against rafael nadal he twisted his ankle he has not played he has not played since he played a couple of matches at the united cup i believe and didn't look amazing so i believe he's just in that uh testing out the water stage so i don't really expect too much of him um, in this tournament also in this section of the draw a couple favorites of mine in 
Well, there's one favorite of mine, I should say, in American Ben Shelton. I love the lefty. He plays like a bully out there. I, I saw him win his opening round match in Auckland. And believe it or not, he said this on his Instagram, that this is the first time that he's traveling outside the United States for a tennis match. So uh, he's it's, he's really soaking it all up. He, he's just inside the top 100 and just fresh off of his career playing collegiately. And he's a competitor. He has a really, really big game. He's had some good wins already on tour. He, he faces Zhang, a player I'm not really too familiar with in the first round. And that could be a potential third round matchup for Taylor Fritz, an All-American matchup I'd like to see for sure. And then uh, closing out the men's draw, uh, number two seed, Casper Ruud of Norway, who made two Grand Slam finals last year, one at the French, one at the U.S. Open, also made the finals of the ATP finals in Turin. He faces uh, Thomas Mashak. Sometimes I butcher names and I have to do better at that. Thomas Mashak Mashak of the Czech Republic. I believe Mashak is the player that played Francis Tiafo at the United Cup and had to retire early. There was a video circulating about that. Uh, Tiafo was really cool about it. But um, he's, excuse me, going back to Rude, <laughs> who is the star of this part of the draw. Uh, he is playing pretty well, I believe. I think he lost early in his warm-up tournament in Auckland. I don't really have high expectations. It's funny because if I go back to the number two seed on the women's draw and the number two seed here, I kind of feel similar. Like, I don't really have huge expectations for them, and the vibes around them don't give me actual number two seed vibes. But that's where they are. Uh, number 13 seed is in this section, Matteo Berrettini. Berrettini has been a player who you can kind of – in some ways depend on because a lot of his greatest performances on tour have been at the Grand Slams and in other ways he's kind of a mystery because he picks up injuries at uh, certain times and it's not his fault obviously but it's just kind of funny uh, how he picks up momentum and kind of something derails and then he picks up great momentum again and it's kind of derailed so let's see if you have a, a more smoother season let's cross our fingers for that in 2023 he opens up against three time champion Andy Murray, who is unseated in this tournament, but I do have to say it's always fun to see Andy Murray on court doing his thing, kind of weaving his web the way he knows how. So um, I think Berrettini can handle that, but again, it's an interesting matchup, something to, to break out the popcorn to see a three-time Grand Slam champion go up against a really, really on-the-rise Matteo Berrettini. So um, there's the men's draw. I kind of, you know, walked through that a little quickly for you. Sorry if you didn't uh, – if you didn't get your favorite player mentioned, I apologize. <laughs> but I do believe, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this on record, but I'm going to go with Taylor Fritz as my champion. I think it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But when I made my fantasy draw picks, Taylor Fritz ended up being in the final. A lot of that was heart and vibe and not necessarily <laughs> Uh, brain and analytics, but here we are. This is what my podcast is about. Sometimes we tune into tennis, and yes, we make smart decisions sometimes, and other times we use our heart and go off the vibes, and that's just what it is, right? <laughs> I'm interested in what this tournament is going to look like, honestly. I feel like I've gone a little bit off the beaten path with picking my winners in Arena Sabalenka and Taylor Fritz. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention. My men's finalists, I believe. Who did I pick for my men's finalists? Let me double check that. I am doing that. And while I do do that, I want to just quickly shout out uh, 
the socials of our podcast. We've switched our name, obviously. If you haven't noticed that, we are now tuned into tennis, and that is where you can find us on all socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Tuned Into Tennis. And I am looking up my fantasy draw. Who did I pick? Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, Yannick Center. Yannick Center is my men's finalist. And yeah, I, sometimes on the men's tour, I feel like <laughs> I feel like in, in my era of watching tennis, there's been so much Roger, Rafa, Novak, and a little bit of Andy Murray sprinkled in winning Grand Slams that when I see other names that are playing well, I kind of just go for the gusto with them and I want to see them pick up Grand Slam trophies. Sometimes it backfires, oftentimes it backfires, but like I always say, we push through. <laughs> we push through. So let's see if Taylor Fritz and Yannick Center can make some noise in this Australian Open. I think they both are more than capable. Just a matter of playing the big points well and maybe a little bit of luck from the draw. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that is my recap, analysis, and breakdown of the 2023 Australian Open men and women's singles draw. I really, really hope that you enjoy watching the tennis over the next two weeks. I really hope that your sleep schedule is not as impacted as mine is about to be. <laughs> but I'm used to this. I'm this. I am not new to this. I am true to this, as people say. I have been watching pretty much every Australian Open since 2007, which is an iconic Australian Open, honestly. And yeah, I'm, I, I really, it's one of my favorite tournaments, like not even Grand Slams, one of my favorite tournaments every single year. I think ESPN does a pretty good job of sharing uh, insights and the actual grounds always look amazing from the television. Some of the like, uh, the graphics and stuff like that throughout the tournament. It just always feels like the Australian Open is a tournament of the future and kind of pushing the needle to what tennis uh the kind of the kind of tennis that people want to see in a new era moving forward. So I appreciate that about the Australian Open. So with that being said, I'm going to get out of you guys' hair. Oh, look at that. I made it almost at exactly an hour, and that's exactly what I said I was going to do. So I'm proud of me. I'm proud of you for listening to this and getting through it with me. And I'll be proud of each other when we check back in on the next episode. How about that? So you guys take care, and I will see you on the next one. Talk to you later.